Welcome to Rockhound Talk Live, the only live Rockhound podcast on Facebook and YouTube. I'm your host, Amber Nicole, and this is my co-host, Ben. How are you? Hey, everyone. I am doing pretty good. I'm a little tired. I've been working quite a lot, but I am excited. Um, And then how, how are you? I think I saw you went out to New York again. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'll be going back again. Um, oh my gosh, let me just tell you. Uh, Dirty Diamond Diggers. Incredible. Like I heard about it um throughout the year. Um, but it really didn't get to be like a buzz thing until my friend Dawn went and she's like, Oh my god, you need to get here. Like, there's some kind of anomaly at this location. Um Literally in 18 minutes, I pulled out a hand-sized golden healer. Like, it was like, I literally, I probably have like, I don't know. I probably came out with like six or seven Goonies. Like, I mean, and and listen, and I I have like a whole like quartz bag full of like, you know, like the size. I mean, it was, it's, 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 it's literally Herkimer diamond heaven. Like it's so it's so incredible. So had a great time, and then we met up with some friends. I had my friends come in from my friends from Canada were coming in, and it kind of like linked synced up with when I was going. So we got to see each other because we hadn't mined since last year together. Mm. So that was a lot of fun. Um, it was just such a great weekend. And then I'm going to be going back at the um, end of the month, um, October 28th, back to Dirty Diamond Diggers before they close for the season. It's like their last weekend. Okay. And I'm actually going to go with a potential guest for season three. Oh, okay. uh, yes. Yeah. Um, Fish and Gold Miles. Um, he's a YouTuber. Oh, yes. Yeah, he's a YouTuber and a TikTok creator. Um, he's got like tons of followers and he's never done any kind of mining besides for gold. So um, he kind of heard the buzz and wants to try it out. So we're going to meet and go up there and do some mining and some content and stuff. So really excited to meet him. See if I can convince him to come on the show. <laughs> <laughs> it'll, it'll be a lot different than a uh, sluicing or panning for gold. That's yeah, a little bit more sure. of some hard rock stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Definitely get a workout in. I know that's for sure. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes, for sure. So yeah, it's been, I'm, it's like, I wish I lived in New York. It's such a great place to mine. Um, it's not too far, but eight hours is kind of a trek. So this last um, weekend in October will probably be my last time until the spring. So, so yeah. And you've been just b- busy working, huh? Yeah. Um, unbelievably busy working. I I've actually been trying to, cause I've got a work conference coming up in December in Las Vegas. I'm taking time off to go and hopefully see some of the sites, not in Vegas, but around Vegas and look for rocks. Cause Crowds aren't really my thing. And so like going to the casinos, I'll probably do that one night and then spend the rest of the time trying to get out and look for rocks. But um, I've been trying to, like I bought a book on rock hunting near Barstow. I've been looking up stuff and I have been so busy with work. It's just been ridiculous. I did my timesheet for last week and it was 80 hours. Oh my and God. I'm flying in and out of Montana on Sundays and going straight to other sites. And 
Um, this last couple of weeks, we had our Minnesota Mineral Club show, which was really awesome. It was my first time having a public display for my fluorescent minerals. Which Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, it was really well received. I'm really yes. happy about it. I've got some points to hopefully make it better for next time. So I'm really excited about that. But between work and that, I, uh, on Monday, took a day off. And it was my first day off in three weeks. So... Oh, wow. It's, uh, yeah, it's a much needed break this week before I fly back to Montana on Sunday for, for another long stint of work. So just been really busy, but it's been great because now I'm saving up some money to help out with some of the trips. And uh, I know that'll happen, you know, soon. Winter's coming around the corner and yep. I'll... I'm, I am excited though, because work will slow down. And now that I have a house, I'm like already like, okay, I can like organize my rock collection. I can start tumbling again. I can start doing all the things that I wanted to do when I got a house that I've been so busy with work. I haven't been able to do yeah. so that, that, and I did, I did see some videos. Someone was using, I think it was like an angle grinder or something. And they were like cutting, I think it was for a Herkimer diamond and they were like yeah. cutting through the rock to get it. And I was out buying some things because I need to go to the hardware store. And I was like, I'm going to treat myself. And so I actually bought, it's an angle grinder and I can also get it as a sander. And so I'm going to, I think some of my Herkimer diamond pieces, I'm going to cut yeah. off some of the excess stuff. Yeah. and um, Kind of like buff them out and like. Yeah. And there's, there's a few, like I got one where there's like a pocket and you can see into it. And so I mm -hmm. want to try to break off some of the edges so I can actually expose the crystals under it. So yeah. It'll be a lot of playing around. And I also, last time I was at the hardware store, bought a ton of different acids to use. So oh yeah, that'll be a lot of fun. I, I already did buy my respirator <laughs> cartridges, rubber gloves. I've got safety glasses. So I've already got that covered. Um, so it's more of uh, trying to find the time to, yeah. Um, like I've got sulfamic acid for my copper minerals that I haven't touched since, since I got them in May. And uh, there's a whole bunch God, of stuff has it been May? Gosh, it's already been that long. Yeah, I know. I'm like, <laughs> holy cow. I'm like, that was almost five months ago that I went I to was. Michigan yeah. to look for copper. Yeah, it's it's been crazy. So yeah, yeah. and actually, you know, too, um, I'm just loving to go out. I should say I do have one more field trip planned. I am actually going oh, out okay. on Saturday. I'm leading a Minnesota Mineral Club trip. We're going to a spot local here, it's got a, a starlight mica schist and the oh, starlight yeah. crystals will erode out by the the Mississippi River. And you can just go down and find a bunch of little starlight crystals. So um, that'll be my Saturday morning showing some people how to find starlight crystals and hopefully we'll find a bunch. Yeah, You'll have to post. I want to I'd like to see them. Um, yeah, I had good luck. I've only been there once. I did have good luck. I found a handful and I did find a couple of, they call them the fairy crosses because they'll form mm -hmm. twins and sometimes they form actual crosses. And so um, I did find a couple last time because those are like the the sought after crystals for starlight. Mm -hmm. So I'm excited to, to get out there and hopefully get some people. Actually, over half the people that are on the trip are people that signed up at our Mineral Club show. So I'm really excited because they're people that they've never done these like rock hunting field trips before. And so I oh, get yeah. to take them That's out. That's exciting. So, yeah. Yeah. You were talking about different acids. Um, I was experimenting with um, some muriatic acid. Um, I found some um, fossils from the uh, silica shale where I live. Oh, and, yeah. Yeah. And I um, so a lot of them will have like limestone over um over pyrite that's on top of limestone and so you want to get the pyrite to be exposed so 
I experimented with some and I left them in longer than I should have. Um, like we're, it's, it's literally, it's literally minutes, like, like literally minutes. Yeah. And I like should have been like three or five and I like left them in for like 12 and like, yeah. And so I did it a second time and I left them in for three minutes, came out perfect. So it was just like a little trial and error and it was, it was okay because I had enough to play with, but it was, it was kind of actually like a good learning process just so I can teach others. Like really when they say three to five minutes, like literally three to five minutes <laughs> because any moment after that it just starts to dissolve and especially if the pyrite's been oxidized at all then it, start, it oh. really will, will break down so so yeah i was experimenting with that as well um yeah i actually heard um because we did a, a mineral club trip to arizona and i was at the show and people were showing off like we had a field trips table so people would bring in some things they found on field trips and i was talking to someone and he had it was like li- different, like layered calcite. I can't remember exactly where it was from. Um, but he said that what they do is they kind of shock it with like muriatic acid because it will okay. dissolve calcite. Right. And he said you literally put it in like a calcite bath for like five minutes mm-hmm. and take it out. But the calcite, because it starts to sort of, it just sort of bonds it and it makes it almost more stable. It's really weird. Oh. Well, that's um, interesting. That's interesting, actually, because I kind of did that as an experiment with some of my calcite i had some calcite that like i just wanted to smooth out and just make aesthetically like prettier that it had some dings and stuff and i just like kind of dipped it in and just did it you know nothing longer than even a minute um and it really just cleaned up the outside and it it i mean when you said bonding that was kind of like my first thing that i thought it looked like it was more together i don't know it looked aesthetically better i reached the goal but that's yeah. kind of interesting that you mentioned that. What what acid were they using? I think it was muriatic. It was okay. some, it's like that lower form of like hydrochloric acid. Yeah. I, I yeah. think it's got to be a step up. Like I know some people to get rid of calcite on, um, like some of the specimens and minerals they'll use like vinegar. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think there's enough acidity in it to yeah. really do much. Um, I'm going to experiment. I, when I was at the hardware store, when I bought a bunch of acids, there was one that was like, I can't remember what percent it is, but it's like, not just like grocery store vinegar. It's like high powered vinegar. It's like 30% oh, yeah. or something. Yeah. So it's like medical um, grade or something or like that, or like cleaning, like cleaning vinegar. Or something. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. there's a bunch of that stuff that, um, that I need to try out, um, to, to try to figure that out. But yeah, I, I think it's gotta be like an acid that it will just start, you know, basically pulling out the, um, I mean, not to get too much into, you know, aqueous geochemistry, but you know, the uh, acid will be removing out the, you know, the calcium ions. And then I think whatever goes on, then it just sort of smooths it out. Or maybe it's also pulling out the, if there's water in it, I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, speaking of, uh, going out to New York, you've got a comment from Fish and Gold. Oh, hey, Fish and Gold. Hey, Miles. Thanks for joining us. So do you want to bring out our guest? Yeah, so our guest tonight is, she goes by Dykenite on TikTok. She is a really cool geologist um, who, if you are into volcanology at all, volcanoes, she's got just a ton of uh, different videos on volcanoes. Um, We've got some photos, which I am extremely jealous of because (laughs) volcanoes are one of my first loves getting into geology. And she just also has just a ton of content about um, LGBTQ um, in both the sciences and also her personal life. Um, she does what she calls gay geology. So 
Yeah, she's, uh, just, she's just fire. I can't wait to get her on the show. <laughs> like, I love her energy. I just, I love, you know, her, her enthusiasm, her just ever, like her, her energy is great. Like, I, I'm excited to have her on as a guest. What a great guest to have for our, our last uh, episode of the season. Yes. So, so yeah, let's welcome, welcome uh, Dykenite Denali. Hey, yeah, yeah. Either one works. Hey, how's yeah. it going? Good. Glad to have you. Happy to be here. <laughs> yeah. So most of our guests, you know, we mm-hmm. like to definitely know a little bit more about them and their journey. So why don't you kind of just share with us how you got started into the career that you're in, your your path into a geology that's led you to a volcanology? Yeah, sure. So I, um, geology is often called like a found major. Uh, a lot of people don't really get the opportunity to learn geology in um, like K through 12, uh, like high school. Um, and so people will often, uh, you know, take a geology course just as like a gen ed in college and be like, oh my God, this is so cool. Um, I started off pre-med. Uh, pretty much everyone in like my immediate family is either medical or military. So that was like, course that's what I was going to do that's what everyone in um, my family did so uh, I started off um, pre-med and I've always like loved science and loved learning things in general which can kind of make it hard to narrow down like what you want to spend your whole life learning because that's a different level of commitment Um, but I I came to the conclusion that I you know I, I liked medicine and I do think that I was good at it but I it wasn't what I wanted to do I never looked at anyone in the field of of medicine and saw their life and said that's what i want um and i'm sure it would have been a a good life but i wanted more than that and so i ended up um taking some time off of school to figure out what i wanted because i definitely didn't want to go into debt pay a bunch of money for college for something that i didn't actually want to do um and i was like okay no i don't like medicine enough to to do it my whole life. What do I, what do I do? Like, uh, what do I even like? Uh, and I grew up in Southeast Alaska, like the first half of my childhood on like a little ocean, a little Island in the middle of the ocean. And, um, so I've always like really loved nature and I've especially loved the ocean. Um, and so I was like, I'll just, I'll take an earth science class and an oceanography class and see how it goes, see what careers I can maybe do with that. And in my oceanography, I was taking at a community college, and in and at my oceanography class, we learned about mid-ocean ridges. And so a mid-ocean ridge is where you have the two tectonic plates, and they're diverging apart, and you have uh, magma and lava coming up between them uh, and solidifying uh, into a kind of rock called mid-ocean ridge basalt. And the entire ocean floor, for the most part, is made of this stuff, and the mid-ocean ridge is like hundreds of kilometers of like active volcanism and I had never learned that I was like what do you mean the ocean floor is covered in hundreds of kilometers of volcanoes like that's insane like what do you mean it's all made from the same kind of rock I I had never heard that before in my whole life and I literally remember reading the exact you know paragraph where it talks about that in the textbook and being like oh I want to do that like I didn't like underwater volcanoes like I wasn't necessarily surprised that underwater volcanoes existed but I never thought about it it was just it wasn't something that came up before. And so as soon as I was like, as soon as the concept got into my head, like, wait, I could, I could do that. That's what I wanted to do. And so I, um, I applied to University of Florida's uh, geology program. 
uh, with the specific intention of studying mid-ocean ridge volcanism, because there was uh, someone, a professor who worked there, who's like internationally known for his work on mid-ocean ridges, and that's who I ended up doing my undergraduate thesis with. Uh, so like a year and a half after learning that mid-ocean ridges exist, I was finishing a, a thesis on mid-ocean ridges, and it was just the coolest wow. thing. And that's what got me started in volcanology was was submarine volcanology first, and like really loving the ocean. Um, and once I got into one kind of volcano, I was like, let's go see all the volcanoes. So uh, I was able to do some uh, field work in Iceland uh, when the first eruption, uh, the first recent eruption in Iceland back in 2021 on uh, Reykjanes Peninsula happened. Um, I knew I wanted to do an undergraduate thesis in something. And that was actually originally what I was going to be doing the thesis on because I saw it erupt on TV and I was like, I have to go. And so I emailed my advisor like two in the morning. And I think this is one of the reasons why he liked me is I was, I can sometimes be a little bit like crazy. Like, I feel like the worst they can do is say no. But, right. I mean, right. What else I, do, like, I yeah, totally feel you. <laughs> people are always afraid to ask. And it's like, well, you know, if they say no, fine. But if I never, they're not, he's not going to just offer to send me to Iceland. <laughs> Right. So I was like, I was like, I have to ask. And so I emailed him and literally the opening line of the email was like, I have a crazy idea, but I would <laughs> like to, was it, could you help me go to Iceland and I'll write a thesis, uh, undergrad thesis on it. And he was like, uh, you know, that's a great idea. Let me see what we can do. And he ended up getting me in contact. It was so random because he has never really done any work in Iceland, but he met a, a Icelandic researcher at a conference a decade ago and had their email. <laughs> and so he emailed them and um, got them in touch with me. And so I ended up being kind of like a guest student um, for a day or two at University of Iceland uh, during the eruption. And then the rest of my time there, I was able to kind of conduct my own uh, field season collecting samples and stuff with the intention of using it um, in my thesis. What ended up happening uh, was when I got back to University of Florida after that field work, we got a set of samples uh, from volcanic cones at the East Pacific Rise, which is a mid-ocean ridge. And um, while we could have definitely done work on the samples I brought back from Iceland, everybody was researching Iceland at that point because it was a really cool eruption, obviously. But so the University of Iceland had already done most of the basic geochemical work that I was capable of doing because I was an undergrad. So like I can't do the advanced stuff yet. Um, whereas these volcanic, these underwater volcanic cones um, had kind of been picked up just like kind of as a side project when they were doing some other work in the area. And so no one else on the planet had samples from these volcanic cones. And so wow. we decided to do my thesis on that instead, because it's, you're able to get much more, you know, unique research out of that, especially for an undergrad thesis, yeah. you the opportunity to have samples like that for an undergrad thesis. So that's what we ended up what we ended up doing. Um, but that is one of the reasons why I decided to do research on Iceland for my graduate degree, which is what I'm doing now. Um, and as far as as far as getting started on TikTok, I, I did not intend for it to be a thing like it is now. I, I when I first moved to Gainesville, um, it was right after um, the pandemic isn't you know, over, but it was right after quarantine kind of ended. And so mm -hmm. I didn't know anyone in the area. I had just moved there. I had also just gone through a breakup, which is always stressful. And yeah. so I, I, yeah, I was essentially, I was, I was bored and I needed a creative outlet and I yeah. was, you know, stressed from school. And so I was like, I'll just, I'll just make some videos on the internet. Why not? Um, and so that's what I started doing. And it started pretty purely as just like dumb gay jokes. Like, I'll be honest, like there's a lot of like really silly puns in geology that make really, you know, great <laughs> gay jokes. And so that, that, that was like, well, look, look at your, 
your, your you, name for one. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Look at yeah. my name. Yeah, can exactly. you like share one with us? Like, I, I totally want to hear one. <laughs> I mean, most of them have to do with dikes, obviously, yeah, yeah, I or or the mineral coming tonight. Like, uh, yeah, it's, it's so I, easy. I posted and like that they, they they write themselves. Like in my petrology class, like they uh like very small, you know, igneous intrusions, which are called dikes, but very small ones are called dikelets. And so I had some video that was like, I hereby declare every lesbian under five five a dikelet. Like, it's just like silly stuff like that. Or like today in my tectonic class, they were talking about how, you know, this layer is 100% dike. And in my head, I'm like, yeah, I'm 100% dike. Or he was like, or he was like, yeah, these brecciated dikes are, you know, these dikes are breaking up. And I was like, yeah, that could be really traumatic. Like in my head, like it just, it's so easy. And so that's and I have a really, you know, immature sense of humor with that. So yeah, I, I that was, yeah, that was, yeah. And it's, it's also, it's fun because like, I'm one of the only people in the department who can make that joke without being right. politically incorrect. So it's, right. it's fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, yeah. But so that's how it started. And I had one video that I, I wouldn't say it went viral, but it got a lot of views. And uh, I was all of a sudden like, you know, like I'm gay and, I like rocks. Like I bet, I bet all these gay people that follow me now, like would, would like rocks. And so I started doing like actual lessons on like what they are because, you know, the, the humor in it is kind of niche. Um, right. Not everyone knows what a dyke is in geology at least. Right, and right. so, so I was like, you know, maybe I should start explaining like what some of the, this stuff is and explaining about like minerals. And um, I really wanted to, my, my account is for everyone. I love teaching everyone, but the account did, start out of a desire to connect with my own community about something yeah. that gave me like a lot of meaning in my life. I, I, uh, I came out as gay to my parents at 22, like in the same phone call that I told them I was leaving, you know, nursing school. <laughs> and so even though it seems like they wouldn't be related at all, like in my life, they're, they've always been like very intertwined. Um, they were both part of me deciding that I was going to like live my life authentically to be cheesy about yeah. it, you know, and like accept that this is who I was and this is what I wanted. And that apparently involves being gay and looking at rocks all day. So I, I, yeah. I, I think that's beautiful. Like good for yeah. you. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I, I think we might have, I think you sent the video. Uh, let me see if this is the video here. Uh, that one was more, that one was more recent. That one is my most viral one. That one has like 3.8 million views. So that one was maybe like last right. year. And I think I started the account in, I can't remember if it was end of 2020 or beginning of 2021, but so um, the one I was talking about was a bit older, but that one is my uh, highest view video. It's one of my favorites for sure. I think it very much encapsulates my attitude towards, you know, yeah, my field I, and what I, I do. So I think it's really neat um, doing um, this podcast. We've had so many creators, whether it's TikTok, um, YouTube, uh, that really came into their their path and journey became really clear um in a very crazy time you know like during yeah. COVID, like people just yeah. found like found themselves and found where they want to go um during mm -hmm. that crazy time and i i think that you know while it was such a really rough time for everyone it's like a beautiful thing because <laughs> i'm seeing like you know hearing these stories and i'm like you know you may have had a different story if we didn't have, have that experience, you know? So yeah, that's, that's, that's really good for you. Um, so we were, you were talking about um, Iceland. We should have yeah. some, 
some pictures, right? Um, yeah, you should have a lot of pictures of Iceland, I think. <laughs> yeah, so, wow. Yeah, yeah so um, those are Iceland. And literally the one on the left is like, you had to climb up uh, this like hill. It wasn't like, it wasn't a crazy big hill, but it was like kind of steep. So you couldn't really see over the top of it. And also, I'll be honest, I... <laughs> Like I landed in Iceland and you have to wait for your negative COVID test to come back before you can do anything. And so I thought I wasn't going to get it back till the next morning, but I got it back in a few hours. And so I was like, I'm just going to hike the volcano tonight. You know, what could go wrong? And so that's what I ended up doing is I started hiking it when it was already dark out. And so I kind of got lost and went up the wrong hill and all kinds of stuff. Uh, but when I got to the top of the hill that I was not originally uh, supposed to be hiking up, um, I mean, That's there's not like, there wasn't like a, there wasn't like a real established path yet, but it's, I took the hardest possible way, but that was the view. Like as soon as you got over the hill, like I have a video that I took going over the hill and if you hear me like huffing and puffing in the video, <laughs> but I literally start like laughing and like crying a little bit. Yeah. Is, all, it's all very cheesy, but I was just like, oh my God, this is an erupting, like, you know, look at it. It's, and you get, it was like cold out because it's Iceland but it was also you could feel the heat every time it erupted and there's this um I can't remember if I sent you this picture but one of the pictures there's you can see this huge you know flow of lava um glowing bright red in the dark and like going off into the distance it was just incredible and like if I didn't want to be a volcanologist before that I sure as heck did after that I mean I did before but like that really solidified yeah. it I was like nothing else like I'll do whatever I need to do yeah to get paid to do this you know like right. incredible yeah, yeah, yeah I, incredible. I had a and similar is- similar experience when I when I was in Northern Ireland I went to Giants Causeway and yeah. like just going through like all of geology and learning about stuff and then getting there and like obviously people are like yo there's like a story about it and whatever but like mm-hmm. just getting there and just thinking about like this is so cool. Like the columnar basalts and the features and everything. And it was, yeah, yeah I was just like, holy, like it was like a, a different level of an experience. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, really cool. Oh yeah. So this is, um, this is just like up close of the lava, but the one on the right is a photo I took when I was actually sampling with university of Iceland. The rest of the time when I was sampling on my own, I only went to the area that was like, uh, accessible to like, regular people um because this was like my first major field season i don't want to get like too excited so i was going to the areas that you were allowed to be like as a regular like a civilian i guess non non scientist person but when i was with university of iceland we got to take you know vehicles out to like the farther like forward advancing lava flows they don't want people normally going there because the lava flow is literally moving towards you it's not super fast but it's still a giant, you know, burning hot thing of lava moving towards you. And so um, that's what that picture is from on the right is uh, they were doing um, hot rock sampling, which I wasn't allowed to actually do that because I was just a student, but I got to watch them do that where they basically have this like giant like metal spoon that somebody's welded and they, you know, stick it in the lava and collect a sample of it. I got to hold the bucket of water. That was exciting. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it had daisies on it. Um, but so that was, it was really cool to watch though, because, you know, every 10 minutes we were having to move our gear back another 20 feet or whatever, because this lava flow is coming towards you. And it makes this really, like, it makes sense thinking about it now, but I wasn't expecting it. It makes this really, really cool crinkling noise because you can see that the front part of the flow is solidified and it's basalt, so it's this hard rock, but the interior is molten and moving forward. So as the different, like, 
outer crust portions of rock are like hitting each other and makes this crinkling noise. Um, that's just really, really cool. It was a very, very cool experience. Yeah. Can you just explain a little bit about like what volcanology, what is the importance of this study of volcanoes? What learning that science and everything yeah. that you're doing, what is the, what's important about that for us to learn about? Why does that help us, you know, in the spectrum yeah. of the, of the natural world? Yeah. So there's, there's a couple of different things. The most obvious immediate one is volcanic hazards, <laughs> which is what I was, uh, what I was involved with when I was working at the volcano observatories. That's the most like immediately applicable thing of volcanology as I think when you're a kid, you have this idea, you either think that volcanoes are going to be less of a problem than they really are, or you think um, they're going to be like a really, really big problem. And for a lot of people, they're not. But for some people, it is. Um, like, for example, in Alaska, we get two or three eruptions a year up there. Um, and some of them have pretty like major effects, you know, on the economy and on the communities that live on the Aleutian volcanic chain. Uh, and it, there's over 140 volcanoes there. Um, the West Coast is very, you know, volcanically active. And I think it's easy for people to be like, well, you know, it doesn't erupt that often. It doesn't erupt that often on human timescales, but it erupts quite often on geological timescales because you're talking about like the entirety of history. And like what happened with St. Helens, if you don't have things, plans, very good plans in place, very far ahead of time, um, really devastating things can happen. Mount St. Helens really jump-started the field of volcanology like in the U.S. because um, before that, volcanology was kind of just like a knowledge for knowledge's sake kind of thing, which is still very valuable. It's interesting. Um, and people want to, we want to understand how our Earth, how the world works. But after Mount St. Helens, uh, the field of volcanology really took off because people were like, oh, this can actually have really devastating effects, not only on like people's immediate lives, but also like on the economy and even on eruptions that don't, um, luckily most of the time nowadays, eruptions don't have major death tolls, but they do have pretty major effects like on the global uh, economy um, and in longer term can affect uh, the climate. That's one of the things that's kind of related to the research I'm doing now is the uh, long-term effects that, um, that uh, deglaciation can have on like the frequency of volcanic eruptions, but the a different eruption in Iceland that was an explosive eruption. The ones on the Reykjanes Peninsula are effusive, so it's mostly like more liquidy lava flows and not as much ash. Uh, but there was one in 2010 that cost the global economy. I can't. It was oh, it was. I don't remember the exact number, but it was like millions of dollars, billions of dollars, I think. Um, it cost the global economy a lot of money. And there's also a lot of really, um, really important like economic hubs located right near volcanoes. So West Coast of the U.S. being one example, but there's also a lot, uh, you know, in like Indonesia or the volcanoes in Italy, the, they're dealing with a lot of um activity over there right now and potentially preparing for an evacuation. And it seems like those things would only immediately affect the people in the vicinity. But for one thing, if there's a lot of ash, it is going to affect climate to some degree. People always like to say, oh, it's going to cause an ice age. An ice age and a volcanic winter, which is the phenomenon where volcanoes, you know, can cool things down is a different thing. So it's not necessarily like a volcano is going to erupt and tomorrow everything's going to be covered in ice. But it does impact climate and it can impact agriculture and things like that. 
But the thing with us relying on technology so much now is especially with the volcanoes in Indonesia, people would think that, oh, that's not really going to affect us. Uh, but there are so many underwater cables for like global internet. And there are so many, you know, like transportation and uh, supply chain hubs and stuff there that if there were a major eruption that could shut down communications like across the globe, it could we could see similar uh, shortages to supplies that we saw during the supply chain breakdown in COVID, things like that. So while most of the time, if you hear a volcano apocalypse scenario, they're not being honest with you. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't have uh, effects that have really drastic impacts on people's everyday lives. And it's something that we should be prepared for. So that's the most, you know, immediate application of volcanology. And the other application is that it's really cool and fun to know about. And so I, uh, I think sometimes uh, even even research that's funded through a university, I really strongly believe that it should have a benefit to society because NSF funds a lot of that stuff. NSF is ultimately, you know, people's money. And then, of course, if yeah. you're working federal federal government, that's a very direct like taxpayer money to you thing. Um, and then NSF gets money from all kinds of different sources, which I think also includes like federal funding. And that's so, the, the National Science Foundation yes, for those that uh, are yeah. in academia. Yeah, sorry. The, yes, the National Science Foundation is what funds a lot of research. And I do believe that any research that's even sort of affiliated with that should have public benefit. But I also do think that public benefit, getting to learn really cool, exciting stuff is also a public benefit. But that's why I think science communication is so important, because a lot of people in academia get their research paid for by essentially public funds, but they don't really care much about communicating it to anyone but their peers in very, you know, prestigious journals that nobody except for other scientists can access. Right. And I, I feel like that's a, a disservice because yeah. it should it should have some kind of public benefit. You should care enough to communicate it to the people yeah. whose funds are going to your research. Yeah. So that's another reason why I'm involved in science communication as I feel like it's not appreciated enough in the world of like academia. Yeah. Good for yeah. you. I love that. Yeah, like love that philosophy. I mean, I yeah. do. I mean, I think that taxpayers want to know more. It's just, yeah. you know, the, it's just it's cool. The available. Yeah, heck yeah. Like it's just, yeah. the, you know, people being, you know, sharing that information. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah I, I saw some statistic. I've tried to look it up again. So I don't know if it's true or what the numbers even are, but it was something like 70% of people after they graduate high school get their only science exposure to science yeah. from the meteorologists on the news channel. Yeah. And yeah. It, it's, and it's quite honestly, like that's how a lot of people, they just don't try to seek it out. There's nothing beyond yeah. like maybe some movie where there's a scientist in the movie or on a TV mm -hmm. show, like, or it, like if there's yeah. a really cool podcast that yeah. Yeah. talk about. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there are. And that's, yeah. and that's, you know, the great part of, you know, some of the stuff like with, you know, um, social media just social media too mm -hmm. like it's just is bringing yeah. so much more um i i you know i guess the the one question that kind of comes up in all this then is you know the big problem that i've seen in academia is not only just the like the nomenclature and terms and things that people have to learn to understand it yeah but also the very literal paywall that exists yeah. to access some of it so oh yeah, yeah. is is there yeah. like i guess sort of you know i don't want to say like you have control and to do whatever <laughs> you want but like <laughs> like so like what what, yeah. what are what are some things that you like would say to like anyone that you know maybe they 
they have like a special interest about something mm-hmm. and they want to expose more people like is you know like obviously there's tiktok like is is that mm-hmm. something that you've seen like is working really well or do you have other suggestions I so I think social media and TikTok and YouTube and and things like that in general are the best that we have to combat that. I do have some problems with it. My main problem with it is it's completely unregulated. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it's it's completely unregulated, and not that I think there should be regulations that you were like, but I like I'm the only person I've ever seen who cites who put citations in you know the caption of their videos or in their link tree or things like that. Um, and so a lot of the times you end up with, uh, and there are very very good content creators out there, obviously, but it's I think it's silly to think that the general public is going to know how to tell a, a genuine like a. Uh, well-researched content creator from one who's not and they're all making content so that's like the my main issue with it is a lot of the times the uh you know psycom on you know tiktok and youtube and things like that is actually people just going to like a random forbes article that is well maybe not to call out forbes a random uh you know newspaper article that is maybe well-meaning but still very inaccurate uh, and using that as their source and not going to actual, you know, scientific sources or things like that. And so, yeah, yeah um, which is, which is, it's too bad. And I think that it's a problem with the system, but I also think that TikTok is the best we have. And it's one of the reasons why I wish that there was more back and forth between people who do psychom and people who are scientists, or that scientists were given the ability to do more psychom. Some scientists do wish to do a lot more psychom, but you have to, it's difficult to do psychom and do science as someone who has been, you know, working full time as, you know, a volcano observatory and is now in a PhD program. Uh, it's done mostly for free and it's all extra work. And I think it's important and that's why I do it. But you don't, it's not part of your regular job. You, it's, right. I, I can't imagine, I wouldn't have time to do it if I had a family or all kinds of other things that I had to do. And it's not, um, in many areas, it's not considered a positive thing to do. It's sometimes, especially if you lump into it, like the social activism part that I do, they right. they will kind of view it as like, well, you're not serious enough about science to really be a scientist or a researcher because you are devoting so much of your time to these other things. So that's one of the problems is the people who are the experts are discouraged from communicating it to anyone but their peers because that will lead to more publications. So that's what they care about. And then people who do purely psychom often feel like they are not um, received well by people right. in academia in general because of that same attitude. Yeah. So there tends to be very little crossover. But if there's very little crossover between the experts and the people communicating the science, that's where you end up with all this misinformation, even from yeah. people who are trying really hard to produce good content. There are some things you just can't know unless you've spent decades studying yes. it. Yes. So it's, Thank it's you. Can we say that again? Yeah. <laughs> because it, that's a yeah. very important yeah. thing in science. And I love how there's all these experts, but I'm sorry, yeah. it doesn't matter like how much you independently look up stuff unless you're yeah actually like you know what i mean like i yeah you said it perfectly like and we we need to respect the people that actually take the time to learn um and not just to learn but to learn to teach um that's such an important aspect and science and when you're talking about you mentioned kind of some challenges and struggles Mm -hmm. um i wanted to ask you 
um, in your journey that you've had, you know, just from starting from undergrad to where you're at now, can you share some of the struggles or challenges that you've had as being a woman in Mm -hmm. the field of geology and even being a woman, a part of the LGBTQ community, like, and if you could share some of those challenges and maybe some things things that you've done to overcome those challenges to maybe help other people that are also in the science field. Yeah. Uh, The number one challenge is going to be just the the general attitude from some people in, in science and academia and geology. I feel like geology is kind of, I obviously love geology. Uh, I think it's a wonderful field. It's done a lot for me and I plan on spending my entire life in it. But I think it is like kind of the last uh, big holdout of like the good old boys club in science. Um, Geology is full of people who don't like other people who wanted to be alone in the woods with their rocks for their whole life. That's one of the reasons why I also think that we're kind of bad. We're especially bad at PSYCOM. We're the worst at PSYCOM. We're we're generally the worst at PSYCOM and the worst at these social initiatives and the worst at anything that isn't the rock. And that just kind of tends to be the kind of people that go into geology. And I think that's why because of that, you end up with this kind of holdout of more traditional mentality, um, even even not even just in academia. Also, like think about the fields you associate with industry, you know, oil and mining. Do those yeah. sound like super friendly fields to like women and right. gay people um, right. or people of color or any of that? Right, exactly. Um, yeah, and I have met, you know, I'm I'm always worried that people who I've worked with before will, you know, see an interview or something and think that I think negatively of them. I have had some wonderful interactions with people who I would trust with my life in this field. It's one of the reasons why I've stayed is because I have been able to find people who are really clearly so invested in my success. But I've also had people who I would never feel safe doing field work with ever again. <laughs> Uh, you know, both because of uh, me being a woman and also because of views that they expressed that, in my opinion, conveyed kind of a hatred for the LGBTQ community in general. Um, and I have also witnessed, you know, um, like friends and colleagues who had very unpleasant experiences, especially with regards to them, you know, being a woman or being queer. Um, comments that I've gotten, you know, on videos have probably subjected it me to even more of it directly because mm. people will say anything when it's yeah. online. I've yeah. been told many times that like, you know, there's no way that I can take this LGBTQ stuff seriously um, and actually be like considered like a scientist. Like there's no way I can succeed in science doing that. Or a very common sentiment still is that women can't do field work. Um, I've had friends who have literally been asked, like, who wanted to be field geologists who are women and who have been asked, like, how does your boyfriend feel about your doing field work? Like, is he going to let you do field work? Like, I dare them to ask me. Yeah. I dare them to ask me so that I can say, oh, my girlfriend is fine with it. They won't know what to do. Like, not that they would say <laughs> no anyway, but it's just like, I, it's just, it's, it's just too bad. It's, it's just yeah. too bad yeah, um, really that that's, yeah, that that's the situation you're dealing with it. And I also feel like I get kind of a weird perspective on it, being someone who is sometimes very masculine presenting. Sometimes, like, I have very feminine, like, bone structure, so I can only do so, you know, so much. But I, sometimes I dress feminine, sometimes I dress masculine. And the, there is a very, like, clear distinction. And I feel like the respect I get, if the first time I meet someone, I was dressed masculine, mm-hmm. or the first time I meet someone, I was dressed feminine. Oh, and yeah. It's just, it's this very weird position to be in because it's like, okay, in the outside of science, you are punished for not being feminine enough. 
Uh-huh. But within science, you're punished for being too feminine. Too feminine. So yeah. yeah, it's like there's there's no winning. And quite frankly, I think in some ways, at least for the sexism aspect of it, I think that it's worse for colleagues of mine who are very feminine than for me because I tend to dress more masculine. And if they see me like that from the beginning, they assume that I can, mm-hmm. you know, be part of the boys. You're like one of the boys, you know. Yeah, exactly. And like I feel like the the sexism is in many ways far more pervasive in the areas that I've worked in because I'm very strategic about where I take jobs uh, than than necessarily the homophobia. But I know that that is not the case in if I were to take jobs in, you know, some of the places like I, I grew up. I grew up with the very distinct idea that I could not be a lesbian and be successful. Like those were mutually exclusive options. That's and so, so you know, yeah, but now I'm very careful about where I take jobs. And I, I do think that's one way that people can protect themselves. Yeah. But I also think that it's kind of an oversimplification because I've had people say to me like, oh, well, you know, if they won't take you as you are, you don't want to work there anyway. I am in a fortunate enough position that I can do that. (laughs) But many people are not in a position where they can turn down a job. They're not in a position where they can move out of their, you know, small rural town with very Mm -hmm. negative prejudiced views against their community. And one thing that's been uh, even more eye-opening than like my own experience was I've kind of made myself known uh, as someone who supports the community within science. And so a lot of people will, you know, DM me and confide in me their experiences. And some of them, I'm not going to retell them because they're not my stories, but some of them are horrifying. You know, people have been like chased out of STEM, essentially, or chased out of geology, especially with the importance of fieldwork in geology, which I think is something people often don't think about. But with fieldwork in geology, especially, you're going to often very remote, very dangerous locations. And you are very dependent on other people for your safety. And so depending on the environment, there can be a very strict don't ask, don't tell mentality about being gay. Because if they don't like you for any reason, the split second hesitation that they might have when you're in trouble and you need help can cost you your life. And I had a really, I did an an oceanographic uh, expedition uh, last year, and I was really, really nervous about it because I've heard a lot of horror stories about oceanographic expeditions. Because think about it, you're with a group of people you've never met before in international waters, what could go wrong? Um, and so I was very nervous, but that's obviously, this is what I want to do with my life. I love, you know, the ocean, this mid-ocean ridge, you know, that's what I wanted to do. But I was very nervous because I'd heard so many horror stories. I had a really great experience. But I had a really great experience because I was very careful about who I went with. The person who was my boss on it was a former student of my undergraduate advisors. I talked with all of them extensively about my concerns about this. I happened to figure out that the I did a lot of online sleuthing and I found out that the brother-in-law of you know one of my bosses was gay. And I was like, he's probably okay. But even then, I did not um, come out to, pe- to the other people on the expedition until I knew them well enough to be comfortable doing that and that's something that I do anytime I start a new job even if they seem great my job at AVO I don't think I officially like came out to people for several months and that was actually quite early for me I've had jobs where I have waited until a year into the job to come out because the subject just never came up and I didn't know how they felt um I was actually I came out much earlier than usual because they were very proactive about you know like DEIA stuff and I was like okay I think you know I think they're fine but you just you never know. And especially if you've grown up in an area where that was a re- very real concern, um, 
you tend to be a little more hyper aware of that yeah. being a possibility. And it, combining that, you know, I even in, in times when I've lived in cities, I lived in Orlando during the pole shooting of the gay nightclub, and I had a friend who was, you know, there. So I'm very hyper aware of the consequences of hatred. People think like, oh, well, they just don't like you. It's like it can it can be a lot more intense. Than yeah. That. <laughs> yeah. Have, so. have you have you seen the video or the movie? Sorry, called Picture a Scientist. It came yes. out in 2020. Yeah. Yes. So if, yeah. if anyone is wanting to to learn like more about like firsthand about like what women can go through and possible like yeah. field work, like the I forgot her name, but her stories of being out in the field and having her male advisor like throw rocks at her while she's trying to go mm. to the bathroom to where yeah. she stopped going to the bathroom and had like kidney problems. Like the kind of stuff, yeah. like the harassment, it's it's yeah. unbelievable. And the fact that it's, you know, it's still happening in different places today i remember being in uh my undergraduate and having a friend and this was probably 2008 or so um and had a friend who she was flat out told like you're not gonna make it as a geologist because you're a woman and it's you know just hearing that kind of stuff it's um you know I, i think a lot of people um just don't experience it you had a good quote in and one of the things i was listening to earlier today um i'm paraphrasing um but you said um you're talking about i think it was the, your experience about like being feminine and field work mm-hmm. and different expectations um and you said you know like it's not everyone's experience but because it's not everyone's experience like you don't know um that it's there and then the people that do experience might be afraid to talk about it yeah, yeah. and i think that's you know, it's such an important thing to think about that people need to just realize that everyone's experience is different and that yeah. we need to be more open to even just hearing people talk about their experiences. Yeah. And it's, that's something that's um, kind of come up, it comes up more than is ideal, even within like the LGBT community or among other women is if that's not their experience, they say, oh, well, that doesn't happen anymore. And that's not how it works. And like, I have had negative experiences, but I have not had the most negative experiences you could possibly have um, because I'm in a, like I said, I'm in a privileged enough position that I can be picky at this point. I haven't always, um, but most of my worst experience were actually in pre-med, we're not in geology. Um, So I'm able to be picky, but not everyone is. And I'm very aware of the fact that a lot of people have these really like traumatic, horrible, life-changing experiences that not only cost them like, you know, mental health and things like that, but cost them their dream career. Like I, if I would be so angry if someone like ruined this career for me because like, I love it so much. And so I think that's important is that even I can't speak to an experience I haven't had necessarily, but I have a very large platform and I know that these issues are an issue and a big one. And even if uh, my experience are not are my negative experiences are not quite as severe as other people experience. It still deserves talking about, and I can still serve as I guess like amplification of the stories that I have been told because it's a pretty real problem, and it is something I might have to deal with one day. I would really love to go on Antarctic expeditions. That's something I've always wanted to do. Uh, Erebus is like a volcano with an open lava lake, and it's like in Antarctica and it's covered in ice around it. It's so cool, and I've always wanted to do something you know, related to that. And then there's also the oceanographic expedition to get out there. I don't know if you guys have read anything about what Antarctic expeditions are like for women, but it got so bad that in Australia, or uh, I don't know if it was Australia or New Zealand, um, but they uh, they considered no longer sending female scientists 
because the rates of sexual harassment or assault were so incredibly high. Wow. Um, and you're so wow. isolated and there's nothing you can do. And it's, it's a Ugh. huge issue. And so it's the kind of thing where like, I do spend probably an unreasonable amount of time sitting here thinking, what am I going to do if one day, you know, that's what stands between me and my dream career? Or especially now that I have such a large platform and I'm pretty well known for being a lesbian, which is not was not part of my... It's not that I didn't think about it. I just didn't, I didn't think anybody would care this much about my little rock account. But so now I'm so well known for being the gay geologist. And so the information that I am out, that I'm gay is no longer in my control. And it's like, I, I, I still think it's worth it. I still do it, yeah. but it makes me nervous quite often because what if one day my dream job is in the hands of someone who doesn't like lesbians? I'm just not getting well, the job. Yeah, and, I don't well, know. I, I don't I think that say... you're a force to be reckoned with. I think what you're doing is 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 needed and so powerful yeah. that I think. I mean, we need people like you. Like seriously. Yeah. So. Well, well, and I think the other thing that I I, I remember seeing. Uh, I think you were with the USGS. I can't quite remember, but yeah. you had posted a video how they had pride flags like pins. Yes, and yeah. I think like that's one of the things that um you know is important about this is like. Yeah. Not necessarily trying to like push it out there or like some people mm -hmm. are like, you're trying to shove it in my face or whatever, yeah. but like just making it a normal part of the conversation. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. It's like it shouldn't be a special thing that they want to have a pride pin or like I'm wearing yeah. my twins jersey because the twins just uh, yeah. beat, beat exactly. the Blue Jays. But, you know, they have pride yeah. nights and, you know, there's a whole the sports thing is a whole other toxic masculinity yeah. conversation. But I think, you know, for, you know, companies or organizations or government agencies just to say, yeah. you know, one's not better than the other or anything. And we're not doing this because of something. We're doing it because it's yeah. what it should be. People should just be yeah. accepted. And we're mm -hmm. just showing that people can just be who they want to be. And I think that also just comes to then also people being able to freely say who they are. And I think right. that's yeah. a big part of like your content then is being able yeah. to say, without fear yeah. of, you know, yeah. rep, you know, yeah. some right. kind of consequence basically from it, but just being able to say, you know, you're queer or you're gay yeah. or, you know, whatever label you want to choose. And then that's it. That's you. Like it's, yeah. it should just be something like, like someone explained, um, you know, like someone was talking about like gender terms and it was kind of like, mm -hmm. you know, we all probably know someone in our life who goes by a middle name and that's mm -hmm. not their name. That's what they want you to call them. Yeah. And people don't have a problem with that. And that's how it should be with everything. Right. Someone says, hey, yeah. I want to be addressed as this or I am this way. And people go, okay. And then that's right. it. And yeah. And I think just that exposure um, in its own way is doing something. Hopefully, if yeah. it's not doing something to people immediately, it's at least showing people, um, you know, that you can be a lesbian yeah. and a scientist. Cause I know I, I do want to show one of your videos. Cause you did mention that like you didn't think that like lesbians could be um, <laughs> yeah. scientists. So I do want to show, you did have one video about that. So let me just show that quick. Yeah. I love that one. Yeah. And, and that's just <laughs> one. I know you've got multiple yeah. videos like that. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. That's um, a, um, a series I do in partnership with, with OSTEM, which is, out in STEM, it's like a LGBTQ professional organization. And it's definitely one that's very close to my heart. Cause like I said, I didn't, you never, you never learn about any of that. And people are always like, well, why does it matter that they were gay? And it's like, well, because 
it's because we spend so much time being told that we can't, can't be. be those things. <laughs> and yet here's all these people that were those things and did it successfully. So that's why it's important that we know that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Representation is very important. Um, yeah. Representation and feeling a sense of like, you know, when someone's trying to, what's going through identity and trying to mm-hmm. um, figure out their place in the world. And a large part of that is, you know, seeing where you feel like you belong. And if you're, we all need to work to live, right? And it's like, yeah. you're picking a career. And if you don't feel that who you are as a person meshes or feels like they belong there, and you, that's something you're passionate about, like, that's just, that's incredibly yeah. unfortunate. And so that's where representation becomes really important, where people can feel like they have a place where they can just be themselves and still do the job that they enjoy or want to do. So yeah. I, I I think very highly of what you're doing um, within, <laughs> you know, activism and pulling it all together and in, in what you do uh, as a profession, which talking about as a profession real quick, I wanted to ask you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Ben, we can probably pull up one of the pictures I, I have of her. You were on a boat. I wanted to talk a bit, not specifically what you're doing, but with your underwater exploration. Yeah. yeah. Um, and kind of tell us the importance of underwater. Yeah, there we go. Tell us the importance of underwater exploration and um, being a marine geologic contractor. Like, how do we benefit that as in the natural world and you doing what you're doing? Yeah. So uh, as far as like the, the mid ocean ridge stuff, um, I think it's easy to think of that as like really disconnected from like anything that happens up here on the surface, but mid ocean ridges are actually kind of the foundation for like life in the oceans. The majority of like iron in um, the oceans, you know, uh, chemical makeup is uh, provided by mid ocean ridge systems. That item, uh, that iron is used by um, plankton and phytoplankton, things like that, which uh, is a lot of animals eat. So it's kind of one of the bases of like the food chain for one thing. Uh, And then also a lot of um, like submarine volcanoes have a lot of minerals, like you've probably seen hydrothermal vents and things like that. That's another uh, place that a lot of the minerals that uh, make up our ocean and, you know, uh, the chemical makeup of our ocean is impacted by that, which then impacts um what happens at the surface because there's no life without oceans right we've been trying to find it but we haven't found it yet so um that's one thing that's very foundational and then with the with the geologic contractor thing the main thing i do there is like environmental surveys which is essentially just learning about uh the environment at the bottom of the ocean um and especially with you know we're in a world wrestling with climate change and things like that and in we really need to understand those cycles. There's carbon cycles in the ocean, there's these life cycles in the ocean and the food chain and all those other things. So it's if you think of it at face value, I think it does seem very disconnected. And there's definitely some of it that like any area of research could be considered research for research sake. But it is also very foundational to how our Earth's crust and how our world has formed, which really impacts everything. If you think about it you know, long enough, it connects to so many different things. So, so with that, um, with talking about volcanoes underwater or just even above <laughs> water, I have a specific yeah. question about gold. <laughs> okay. There, there I don't know under- much about gold, but I'll do my best. I was okay. going to say, too, speaking of underwater, that, that that is a new sort of emerging field of underwater mining. Yes. Um, which 
yeah, but I'll, I'll let you talk yeah. about it. Yeah, yeah, so, so there is this kind of debate that I've seen um, online about like the origins of gold. Um, and so, I mean, we are, where we know that there is gold in mm -hmm. volcanoes, you know, where they're mm -hmm. finding it. So, but some, there are people who think that maybe that gold was, was it's extraterrestrial. Like, what are your thoughts on gold? Is that something that is, is it part of our natural planet? Um, or is maybe from other means of becoming here? And I don't know how it got into our volcanoes, but like, yeah. How how what is the connection between gold and volcanoes? <laughs> um, so I know that they've been found in volcanic systems, but I don't actually know. That's not an area that I've ever done any research on. The only association I really have with gold is, you know, like the hydrothermal formation, like their typical the typical way they form. Um, so I'm actually not a great person to answer that question. I know they exist in volcanoes, but I don't know the mechanisms um, by which they would form from it. I think that's a pretty ongoing area of research, to be honest. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's yeah. fair. That's fair. I know I, yeah. I hear a lot of debate about it and I just thought maybe I'd ask what your, what your, um, what your ideas were on that. What were you going to ask, Ben? You were talking about underwater. Oh, I was just mentioning, you know, there, there is a lot, um, that has been, you know, sort of this expanding field as part of sort of the economic mm -hmm. geology about um, there's been a lot of research. I mean, I know some of it has been like editorialized because they they're looking for other places to mine and they yeah. started looking at like asteroids as like a mm -hmm. mining possibility of even, you know, people have even talked about like redirecting an asteroid to get it closer to get the, the minerals and mm -hmm. um, you know, the resources from it. But um, I know like, you know, there's been a lot of talk about sort of underwater yeah. mining and how it's, you know, possible. And there is a lot and, you know, some of it is, you know, unfortunately coming down to climate change because yeah. there is a lot of, you know, things that we need to look at, not only just of like from mining perspective, but also how do we deal with the way that we operate in the world of doing like carbon sequestration and different things mm -hmm. and, um, and even, yeah, I, I worked in the oil field for a while and it's like, okay, mm -hmm. you have all the spent frack water. What do you do with it? Okay. Yeah. We're going to inject it into the ground. And then all of a sudden, okay, now we're causing earthquakes because we're injecting water. Um, so there's all those things that, you know, I guess not necessarily deal with volcanology, but geology and, you know, in general, that is, you know, sort of important that I think people need to understand as part yeah. of just science in general, that we need to fund these things. Um, yeah. And also just, I think people need to be open to facts and things that mm -hmm. might not jive with what they maybe even grew up with. Um, yeah. The big thing that sticks out in my head, um, I know you've done a lot on like Yellowstone volcanoes and, mm -hmm. and things, but like <laughs> yeah. when it came out that NASA or whoever the deciding factor was that they were going to remove Pluto as a planet, and the uproar of people saying, I was told this as a child, yeah. Pluto is a planet, and I don't care what the scientists say, it's still a planet to me. Yeah. It's that same kind of thing of like, you know, you might yeah. see some content creator on TikTok that you love or YouTube or mm -hmm. whatever it is, and they have no scientific background. They spread their ideas. But if they say, you know, the Yellowstone volcano is going to erupt soon, um, I think I sent you a video of when I was in college, there was someone mm -hmm. that was saying, because there was a big earthquake swarm. Yeah. And as people who 
know something about volcanoes might know that there's usually a lot of earthquakes when it's about to right, erupt. Right. Yeah. But it's also just a, a just normal part of the Yellowstone system. And they yeah, were basically it's, saying it's going to yeah. erupt. We're, you know, and yeah. they're causing all this fear and people are getting upset. But I think the important thing for people to understand in that situation, one is what is your source? Mm-hmm. And two, I think people need to stop being lazy and find actual yeah. scientific sources. And it, it might be a reputable newspaper. Hopefully journalism isn't dying and we can have people that actually go out and can mm-hmm. have those sources that can say it. But it's really mm-hmm. important, I think, you know, and, and you might be that person to someone because they know, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. Mount Etna is erupting. Who can I talk yeah. to about like if it's a serious thing or maybe we will get more earthquake swarms in Yellowstone or, or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and I think it's important for people to have access to that information. Um, and I know yeah. I, I saw some video you were talking about um, someone. I think they were with the I forgot which volcano observatory it was, but you were talking to them about the alerts that they send out. And how yeah, was like it Mike, maybe uh, the Yellowstone Volcano Observatory scientist in charge. I think it, he's the main person I've interviewed on that. Yeah, it might have been that or it might have been like the Cascades. I can't remember, but it okay. the, the big takeaway I remembered from it was you have a bunch of scientists that are trying to convey mm-hmm. information to the public and they're treating the public like scientists. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I guess it, but yeah. So that was that was. Um, that was something I um, have had conversations with um, with multiple people who I've worked with at the observatories and is something that they're currently trying to work on. There are a lot of people who care about it. One of the problems with working in science so long is when you're in when you're in this little bubble and surrounded by only people who know everything about, you know, geophysics all day, you forget that a normal person doesn't know what seismicity means, you know, like a non-geologist doesn't necessarily know that. Um, and so that was one area in which, um, like my, my science communication work ended up branching over into my, um, professional job. And it's, I guess it's, to most people, it seems like, oh, those are the exact same thing, but because of me being so openly lesbian, um, on my account, I, like I said, I traditionally have tried to keep those things very separated, but I ended up kind of being in a position where I felt like everybody could really benefit from me kind of crossing those things uh, together um, because I have made, um, I made a series, uh, I, I make a lot of content about volcanoes in the U.S. for one thing, but I made a whole series based on the uh, USGS volcanic risk assessment. And it was a, like a countdown of, I think, the top 21 or something, like most dangerous volcanoes in the U.S. as ranked by different parameters by um, the volcano observatories in USGS. And I am, I do think it's very important that people have an accessible source for things However, when it comes to things like emergency response, I don't like people coming to me and saying, is this dangerous enough for me to evacuate? I don't want that kind of responsibility. This is also not my main job. I can't, I can't necessarily stop, you know, all this stuff I'm doing for my PhD every time there's an eruption to go protect. Like it's just, it's, it's, it's too much that I can't do it. So I like making content about eruptions and things like that. But when people start asking me about safety things, I don't, I refer them to an official source. I think that is the best way to do it. I, I don't think that I or anyone else on social media should want to be in a position where you're in control of people's safety, because there's a reason why people are paid full time to do that. 
Yeah. And we just we just do not have even me who is currently working in a volcano observatory. Right. I don't I do not have access to the emergency information on an eruption in Mexico. There was an eruption in um, Mexico, and I was getting you know messages being like, "What do I do?" And I had to be like, "You go to this website where your government safety agency tells you what to do." Right. I am just not um, correct. Like, yeah. For every yeah for everyone's sake, I'm not going to do that. But what was happening is when I was making this volcanic risk assessment series is I like to refer people to the USGS volcanic alerts because you can stay up, especially if you like live next to Rainier or something, you, you want to do that. But what was happening is people were getting these volcanic alerts or checking the volcanic updates. And I was getting messages in the hundreds being like, can you explain the update or can you say, yeah. and I went and actually looked at them. And I was like, I don't think these are actually written for the public. And so I stopped um, recommending them to people. But yeah. then when I actually got a job at a volcano observatory, they, some people were talking about it over lunch. And I was like, wait, those are for the public? <laughs> um, I, I <laughs> they didn't, they didn't before, even but, realize. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah, I do. Oh, okay. sorry. I was just going to say, have you, do you, have you ever read the comment XKCD? Do you know of it? Mm-mm. Okay, I just want to show you one quick comment because it is okay. completely relevant to this. Okay. So if, if you can't read it, um, it says, um, it's for average familiarity. It says, silicate chemistry is second nature to us geochemists. It's easy to forget that the average person probably only knows the formulas for olivine and one or two feldspars. And then the other person says, and quartz, of course. Oh, of course. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And then the bottom, it says, even when they're trying to compensate for it, experts in anything will wildly overestimate the average person's familiarity with their field. Yes. And I think it's one of yeah. those perfect things is like, you know, geologists might think, well, everyone knows quartz and feldspars mm -hmm. and, you know, whatever. But in reality, it's, you know, it's not yeah. true. Yeah. And that's kind of what the conversation ended up being is have, realizing, oh, they they think that these are accessible to the public and they put a lot of effort into writing them. They really want them to be accessible to the public. They just, they don't, you know, people are more likely to leave a comment on my random video than they are to email the USGS about how inaccessible right. their, you know, stuff is. And so I was like, I think I should be telling them about these hundreds of comments I'm getting saying that this is inaccessible because I think that they, if they're going to put that much work into it, they want it to be accessible. Um, and that was something that um, we ended up conversing at, at length about because if you, there's, um, there's apps that you can do. I think one of them is called like the Hemingway app where you copy and paste your text uh, into the Hemingway app and it tells you the, the grade level, the reading level uh, of your text. And I showed them a couple examples. Nice. I, copy, I copy and pasted their uh, volcanic alert and it was like college level reading. Um, yeah. And, you know, uh, maybe you need to be a part of like their team. Like, so one of them actually suggests, I don't know how it would work, but one, one of my friends there did actually suggest that. However, I wonder how that would work for me in particular, given that I, I don't know, I'm so vocal about like social activism. They do have very strict rules about like being politically aligned publicly working for the federal government. Right. So I don't know how that would work, but I, but no. I do think well, that it should too bad be, because you'd be the best person yeah. for it. <laughs> Thank you. I'm pretty good at it too. But I think, you know, that's, the with the Hemingway app or things like that that's also a it's a good way to check yourself and not mm -hmm. have to because if you check with other scientists or the geophysicist next door he probably thinks it sounds great 
you know, and there were some things that I'm a geochemist, not a geophysicist, and there were some things in the alerts that even I was kind of like, I don't know what that, I don't know, really you, know what that means. And I work there. <laughs> you, you should really push them to start doing like Twitter, like the National Park Service has doing. I don't know if you've been <laughs> yeah. following them, yeah, but they basically, that, yeah. yeah, like their, yeah. their wit and jokes about everything. Like, yeah. And it seems like that's also, you know, just some of the ways to make it, you know, more relevant yeah. to, uh, to the yeah. public. Um, yeah. And I, yeah. And I agree with that. But another thing that kind of comes into play is like, you know, different volcano observatories have different resources when it comes to that stuff. Yellowstone ironically has such little like activity above background that they have all kinds of free time at, you know, the Yellowstone volcano observatory. So they have the Yellowstone Caldera Chronicles, like articles they put out. They do all kinds of social media stuff about Yellowstone because they only have one volcano to worry about. And it's not really that active of a baseline ever anyway. Whereas, you know, the Alaska Volcano Observatory, or the Cascades Volcano Observatory, they have so many more volcanoes. They have so much more activity that could potentially be something, you know, that would lead to something that they're interested in. They don't have the time or resources to do these intense social media campaigns. Um, and because generally science communication is not valued as its own job, that just hasn't happened. Now, I can't, I, I don't think it was, it, there was, uh, it was the Alaska Earthquake Center, I think, uh, had a posting a couple months ago for a full-time science communication position. And I thought that was so cool because I have like never heard, really heard of that. Um, um, but I think that that's something that's important is I think a better model, you know, than the science just existing and us relying on random independent contractor content creators to interpret it correctly is to make science communication a valued and integral part of research agencies. And that is not the norm right now, but I think it should be because I, I think that's the number one way to make sure the right information is is getting communicated. Yeah. And, also, and also that more people can go into science communication. Um, I, I think only for like six months or so was I doing science communication full time while I was between jobs. But it's, um, it's, it's an important, it's, People can do it well, people can yeah. do it well, but it's, there's, I'll just, there's an inherent um, risk in having to take content based on what will pay you the most and get you the most views. Mm -hmm. um, even someone who is very, very well-meaning, if this video is how you're paying your rent, yeah. you are, it's very tempting yeah. to say what will get you the most money. And I don't think- right. Uh, that not not saying uh, saying that everyone is like you know lying or anything like that, but there's a built-in um, there's a built-in risk to that that is not the case if you're literally hired by yeah. a research organization to communicate their research correctly and effectively. Yeah, um, yeah. And so yeah, I think independent right now independent contracting and independent psychom is very important. I think it will always have a place, but I do think that for everyone's sake it should be a valued and integrated part of research. And it's not currently, it's kind of something that, you know, a couple, you know, some people do because they think it's important and everybody right. else is kind of annoyed with. <laughs> it's like, well, right. Right. So, yeah. so that we, would be a nice change for the future though. Like in science, yeah. it w would be incredible. And yeah. like, and it is working, it is getting there just slowly, yeah. like everything. <laughs> so, yeah. so we, we've gone on for about an hour. Do you have some more time? Yeah, I have some more time. Yeah. Okay, perfect. The, there were some things I do I do want to do a, okay. a little bit of a left turn. Um, okay. So great. I'm not going to ask you your favorite mineral because it's oh, garnet. Oh, but I am. It's I garnet. Am. Spoiler alert. I, 
Because I, 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 I do my research. Her favorite Robin, mineral is garnet. But the world her, doesn't know. Her, her, her second, know. Her second, we're, we're, we're second favorite show. is kyanite. I know second okay, favorite well, is kyanite. And her favorite yeah, rock is a mid-ocean ridge basalt. <laughs> you went the, way back. Okay, the people watching don't know. So, Denali, okay. please, please All right, share so, with So we've got garnets, garnets, <laughs> kyanite, mid-ocean ridge basalt. So explain why those are your favorites. Um, so kyanite was my first favorite when before I really knew much about geology and kyanite is actually where the name dikonite came from dike plus kyanite yeah. dike plus my favorite mineral my favorite geology word plus my favorite mineral so that's where that came from and um if you've you know seen kyanite it's like blue and it's got these like cool blades on it I just thought it was awesome <laughs> um, and it glows red that. it glows yeah. red under long wave it's gorgeous yeah, yeah. It, it's really really cool um, but then once I started uh, getting actually into my geology classes, my favorite color is maroon. So there's one thing towards garnet. I actually used to think, I used to think my color was, my favorite color was blue, but I don't really own any blue. Um, and I have, so I, most, everything I own, with the exception of this shirt, ironically, is like pretty much either black or maroon. And I dated someone once who was like, know your favorite color is maroon. And I was like, you can't tell me what my favorite color is. But then I thought about it. And I looked around and I was like, maroon sweater, like maroon bed, maroon lamp, maroon. I was like, oh, my favorite color is maroon. <laughs> so um, that's one of the reasons I love garnets because it's maroon. I really love um, any like uh, minerals with like a really unique, you know, shape and uh, they have the octahedral shape. I think that's really, really cool. Um, and they also form, they form in like a really neat way and they're associated with metamorphism, which I think is um cool and then also the way they look under thin section if you slice them and look at them under a microscope they're just black um and most of them you turn like different colors or like things like that but uh they just become completely black no light can like get through it at all and i i've made videos about it or i'm like you know this little soulless void is a garnet and i am also a soulless void or something i don't know it's just <laughs> i just like it yeah it just it makes it's a good opportunity for jokes also um which i like but then mid-ocean ridge basalt is just because like it was the thing that you know got me into everything it got me started on and i mean technically that's a rock not a mineral but like it it got me started in everything and also it's ocean floor rock like yeah it's from like 4,000, you know, meters. Like it's the bottom of the ocean. It's so cool. It's from yeah. an underwater volcano. Oh, yes. Yeah. That rock. So, so what is, so, so this rock, what, what is this yeah. and where is it from? Yeah. This is a mantle xenolith. Oh. And a, yeah. A xenolith that basically means it's a rock that is in place, that is put somewhere that was taken from somewhere else. So lava will be coming up and it'll grab a piece of rock and it'll carry it, you know, up somewhere. And okay. so it's a different composition than the surrounding rock, basically from a completely different place. And a mantle xenolith is just a piece of the earth's mantle that was picked up in the process of a volcanic erupt, you know, coming through the earth. And it just picked it up along its way and brought it to the surface. And so this is from the Iceland eruption that I went to. And um, it's literally like a piece of earth's mantle from like way, way down deep. It's just like chilling at the surface and this lava rock. It's just so cool yeah. and it's beautiful. Um, olivine is the green mineral in there. And I think olivine is just gorgeous also. Mm -hmm. um, I collected one of my 
one of the jobs I got to help with when I was um, with University of Iceland that day as we were going around collecting mantle xenoliths so they could analyze them for their geochemistry. And um, I really wanted to find one and like, you know, be helpful. Uh, and so I found this one and this was the biggest one we found all day. And I was so proud. And he like asked for it so that he could put it in the bag with ones to analyze. And I, I swear I was going to, but I was like, it's just, it's so pretty and it's so big. And so I was like staring at it and he was like, you want to keep it, don't you? And he was like, fine. But I, I felt bad because I could tell you, you know, you have to crush up so many little xenoliths to get enough to analyze. And I could tell he was like, man, that was such a nice, good one to analyze. But I kept it. It's one of my favorite ones. So being a geologist i know you you have a bunch of rocks and i don't i don't want to go through like your whole favorites and whatever the the one question that i'm curious about which i don't know if you can answer right away what are your youngest rock and oldest rock that you have i actually can answer those right away okay um my youngest rock is gonna be um these ones from iceland uh in 2021 there have been eruptions since then but i haven't gotten to go to the other ones so these are the youngest rocks that i have as they're from 2021 um and then the oldest rock i have is i don't have it out right now but the youngest the oldest rock i have is from the archean um and it's from a random like road crop in i can't remember who Tennessee or Michigan or somewhere during field camp and we pull uh, during undergrad we did a like a field work camp and we just pulled over on the side of the road and he was like yeah this rock's like from the Archean it's like from it's so old and it was like this outcrop of rock on the side of the road with graffiti on it and I was just like <laughs> people passing this rock have no idea this is like one of the oldest rocks <laughs> yeah I, I think about that all the time because I've got some banded iron um, yeah and that's another one that um, it's, you know, the really old. I, I just had to ask because I, I was curious if you had grabbed anything that was like freshly made while you were in Iceland. Do you still like yeah. get out and collect and just have fun just looking for rocks in random yeah. places? Yeah. Like, do, do you? Okay. Yeah. yeah, I'm a big, yeah, I'm a big rock hound. It's so you're a rock hound too. Okay. Because, yeah. you know, oh, there's yeah. a geologist yeah. and a rock hound. Yeah. So yeah. I'm yeah. like, do you, do you like get out there and just like, yeah. I want to find rocks? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I was about to say, like, I thought I figured that all geologists would be rock hounds, but like, that's not true. And no, like, I've, yeah. met, I've, met, I've met a couple of geologists that don't have like any rocks at all. And I'm just like, I don't trust what? you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's something wrong with that. I don't, yeah, um, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm definitely a rock hound. And anytime I, you know, I had to drive from Alaska to where I'm currently in grad school and I planned an extra like five or six days so I could stop along, you know, along the way and find some cool, um, I love cool that, yeah. things. So, yeah, I and I, I hold on to rocks that really like, like, for example, outside of one of my apartments in Florida, a piece of the curb broke off in the parking lot. And I was like, I'm going to keep this one. This will be a memory of my apartment in college. So I literally have a piece of a curb like in my rock. <laughs> so That's great. You, you should look but, up. Um, I have, I got them. I was at a, I think it was an AAPG conference. Mm -hmm. uh, um, Association of American Petroleum Geologists. And mm -hmm. they had for sale... Um, I think they still have them like online, but they have roadmaps that you can mm. get of different sections of the country. And they have the geology 
on the roadmap. So you can like open up to like the Western part and you're driving through Montana and it'll say like, Oh, this is like the, you know, whatever igneous batholith you're driving through or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Those are really cool. Um, nice. Yeah. Which, yeah, I, awesome. I've got, I've got so many geology, <laughs> roadside geology books. Yeah. That, yeah. Um, They're good books. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And it's always, it's always amazing to me too. Like, like in Minnesota, like I'll go to like, uh, um, there's a a waterfall that it's called Gooseberry Falls. It's on the North shore of Lake Mm -hmm. Superior. It's really cool from a geology standpoint, um, which I didn't Mm -hmm. realize until I went there and actually bought a Minnesota geology book. It's got columnar basalts and that's actually what the waterfall is going over. Um, It's not well-defined, but if you know what to kind of look for, you can kind of see them. Mm -hmm. But it's always interesting because they'll go into the visitor center and they'll have like a whole, obviously there's like the Lake Superior agate collecting like books and whatever, but there's always like Minnesota geology books and just seeing like the general public that they just want to know more information. Yeah. It's it's always like, yeah, like someone else on the right team (laughs) wants to know more about the earth. Yeah. That's awesome. Bowen's reaction series overrated or essential? Uh, I feel like it's it's essential for learning. I think it's like it's one of those. I think it's one of those like the you know subduction zones, the model that they teach about subduction zones where the plates collide and it like it just goes like that. Like those, it violates basic mass balance principles. <laughs> like we we know that that's not exactly how it goes but it's the best model we have and you kind of have to it's hard because you have to kind of teach like something that's a tiny bit of a lie but when they can't understand like when when you're not at the level to understand the more advanced stuff because it's so much so that's kind of how I feel about Bowen's reaction series is it's it's necessary to get started and then you learn more about the nuances later (laughs) I, I remember. Okay, I was going to say, I'm at the, I'm at the Bowen stage. So I'm glad that you yeah. said that. Because yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm, like, I'm like, that's how I started learning to understand. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I, yeah. yeah I, I, I remember. So I actually got very lucky in high school and was able to take an earth science class, which it ended mm-hmm. up being like an elective like class. And I, yeah. I can't remember how I ended up working it out. It was one of those, like, I only had to take two years of Spanish and I took it like sophomore, junior. So I had a senior year that I could take something mm-hmm. else. I took earth science, which was great, but I do like one of the big things that I remember learning that stuck with me that I later learned was false was the whole concept about like magma being or oil even being in these pools and it's yes. just this yeah. open cavity and that's what's filled yeah. underneath the earth. And then I get, and I actually start learning. It's like, well, there's porosity in rocks and, you know, whatever. Yeah. I'm just like. It's more like a mush. It's more like a bunch of different, you know, sills and areas of mush of magma than it, there's not like a giant, you know, chamber of liquid in the crust. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just one of those that like, it can get you interested and you learn sort of the very basics. There's liquid under the ground, but yeah, yeah, it's yeah, totally. Um, Yeah. Okay, I did have a bunch more videos I did want to show. Um, oh, I do want to show this one because I do have tattoos. I don't have any geology tattoos, but you did send a video about um, tattoos. So I do yeah, want to play let's this one. See, yeah, let's see that one. For those that, that didn't see it, it's Dude, that's so a sick. topographic map. Yeah, of, it's sick. 
Is it of, that, that volcano then? Yeah, yeah, it's that volcano in Iceland, yeah. I had wow. I knew that I wanted a topo map for a while. I just yeah. didn't what what I wanted it of. I thought about uh. getting a topo map of of uh, of Denali. Like my first name is Denali. I thought about getting a topo map of Denali, but I was like, nah, that seems a little uh, like self centered. <laughs> I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> um, so I was like waiting for something like really good, and then I was like, this is like this is like a life changing moment for me. This yeah. is what I'm gonna get. What a gorgeous. And, gorgeous yeah yeah and that that map that you showed earlier is what the reference for the tattoo was so that was another thing that uh kind of in, yeah that kind of inspired it is it's not just like a regular topo map it's a topo map with these shaded regions representing like the thickness in different areas of the new lava um and for one thing that makes for like really good you know contrast and stuff in a tattoo um but it's also just really cool because like you know even since i went there's been other eruptions so it doesn't uh it's not exactly the same as it was when i was there but i have what it was like when i was there like immemorial oh that's cool and i can point to this and be like yeah i stood on this hill and watch the eruption over here. You know, like it's it's just fun. That's, yeah, that's, that's, yeah I, I love that part of, of tattoos where it's like, this is where I was at at this point yeah. in time. And this yeah. is what it meant to me. And yeah, um, yeah, and just, just that. The, the other thing that I think is really cool that I don't know if Amber knows what this is. Amber, yeah. do you know what this is? Um, it was a cup. I remember that she said she put like, okay, tell me the story again because you're... <laughs> Yeah. I, I'm in my I'm in my second drink right now. By the way, <laughs> okay. uh, so, so this is like this is a tradition in like marine geology. Is like every geologist who goes on a on a cruise on a research cruise has to do this. Um, like okay. my advisor, my advisor in undergrad's office is filled with them. And what it is is it's a styrofoam cup. The one on the left okay. is like a regular yeah. styrofoam cup. Yep. And you de- you decorate it with like sharpie. In this case, I drew a mountain on it. I drew Denali on it. Uh-huh. Um, and so what they do with it is they take all the styrofoam cups and they put them in a net bag and they tie it to the equipment that's going to the bottom of the ocean and okay. as it goes to the bottom of the ocean all oh, the pressure the pressure yeah shrinks the cup yeah and that's what makes it like that one on the right and uh the mountain maybe doesn't like do it like justice the drawing i did but it's it's so funny because you can draw like the worst you know, stick figure, the worst drawing, but because it shrinks it and makes everything smaller, it makes it look like really detailed. Yeah. Um, but they've yeah, even cool. done this. Yeah, they've even done this with like those styrofoam like mannequin heads. Yeah. I think those are those are a little creepy to be honest. Uh, but, <laughs> but my advisor in undergrad had a ton of them in his office, and like uh, I did this cruise in September, and like for Christmas that year, everyone in my family got a shrunken cup with various designs drawn on it. But as soon as people, yeah, as soon as people on the boat found out I knew how to draw, I like, I drew like seven dog portraits (laughs) on that. Like you can't really tell from just the mountain, but I'm decent at drawing. And so everyone was like coming downstairs to make me draw their dog's portrait on the cup. And then I do, I did want to show, because you sent a video about, but I just want to play the video. So I really, I really like that one because um, it kind of goes with the following passion. Because I think kind of lost in this too was you wanted to become a geologist, and so yeah. you you sought that out. But I think the timing, like mm-hmm. we kind of glossed over that. So you were you were twenty two years old then when you yeah. decided to yeah. just 
I'm going to do this now and this yeah. is what I want to do. Yeah. Yeah. I was 22 and I didn't actually end up going back to undergrad for geology until, um, until I was uh, 25. Um, I was taking like, I did like the community college classes and things like that, but I wasn't able to go back full time until I was 25 because school is expensive. And also because of like, you know, financial aid reasons, like you qualify for more financial aid when you're over the age of, um, you know, 24, I think, because before that, they use your parents' income. Um, oh, and I was paying right. for my own schooling at that time. So I needed financial aid in order to go back to school. So I didn't go back to school full-time until 25. And, um, you know, my my parents love my job and my career now, but they, a lot of people have very strict ideas of like what it is to be successful. And also I had already put a pretty significant amount of time into this uh, other degree. And if, you know, with medicine, you have the degree, you have the job. It's very straightforward. Like it's not, there's not much uh, like networking or anything really involved in like being like a doctor or a nurse or something that you have the job, you have, you have the degree, you have the job. And that's not what it's like in geology. It's very network dependent, which is one of the reasons why being out in geology was more concerning. Um, but it's also one of the reasons why, um, my transition out of medicine, it wasn't so much that they didn't like geology, but that I was leaving medicine um, after putting so much time into it already was very, very difficult, not just for my parents, but just like, you know, people around me and in my life. And they're very happy with it now. And uh, I actually, one of the photos is of Volcan uh, Fuego in Guatemala. I went on that trip with my dad. I was like, if he didn't like geology before, I'm going to take him to an erupting volcano and he's going to think it's awesome. And he did. Um, but so they, they're very, yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're very supportive um, now. But when I, yeah. When I made that transition, them and a number of other people in my life really treated it not how I saw it, which was I'm finally going after what I want. I can't wait to do this. But they saw this as this big, you know, crisis where I had no idea what I was doing and I was abandoning all, you know, I was ruining my life and making all these bad decisions. On top of that, coming out as gay, which compared to, I would say, a lot of people my parents dealt with fairly well, but they also had no idea um, that I was that I was gay. And so there was a significant amount of denial involved at the beginning of that. So to them, this very sudden, they had no idea I didn't like medicine and suddenly I want to quit. And they had no idea I was gay and suddenly I'm a lesbian. (laughs) In their mind, they were like, there's no way any of this is real. This is clearly like a mental breakdown. Which I, you know, I understand, but it also, I felt like I had to do a lot of it. We didn't, talk very much for many years after that whole situation and so I felt like a lot of it I had to do without really any support sure. and with a lot with a lot of self-doubt because it's hard to believe in yourself when you feel yeah. like so, when no you're alone else. yeah so, yeah and so that whole process is something I think I've made a few videos like kind of referencing just you know things that I heard when I was in the middle of this very huge life transition like sometimes you really do have to like burn down the whole thing in order yeah. to start over and do something better but when you're burning down that whole process it's hard all anyone, all anyone around you can see is the fire like they don't know right. that you're doing something that right. just, a process of building something better they just right. think you're destroying everything you've ever done and so it like it, it obviously worked out and I'm like very you know proud of it and happy that I did it but that whole process was very difficult and it took yeah. me a long time to get to the point where I was 
confident that what I was doing was the right decision. It wasn't as though I immediately was like, yes, this is the right decision and I'm going to do it. I was going to do it, but I had no idea if it was the right decision. The whole pathway until, you know, relatively recently, I was questioning the whole time, like, can I actually do this? Is this actually going to go the way I hope it's going to go? Because most people don't have, I think, that intrinsic sense of I'm going to succeed. You know, you get that internally a lot of the time. It's it's something that, you know, I've I've seen it a lot more recently of, um, like I saw quotes somewhere that, you know, it said, be brave or do it afraid. And it's one of those things that has actually come up a lot in our guests, Um, you know, talking with, you know, um, our very first guest of this season, Ellie Ringo, who is also a geologist who said, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm going to stop this mining job because Mm -hmm. I hate it. And I'm going to try to pursue more of an acting career um, to chase the Aga dude who said, I'm going to literally just move to Hawaii and just get off a plane without a plan and just sort of live. And it's like, it's, it's it's a lot of those like people finding out about who they are are. by Mm -hmm. getting themselves out of their comfort zone and just being, you know, just breaking down all the barriers and just being themselves and it can be scary, but yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, you're you're like honoring, honoring your true self and it's like, you're going to have obviously challenges because in our society, honoring your true self isn't always welcome because everybody wants uniformity, but um, it's like, that's where you find like, if you're going to be happy in whatever you're doing, it's going to be when you're finding your true self and, and connecting to it. And what a scary experience, but yeah. You know, what we're seeing from so many guests is that like doing that and, and basically saying like, you know, like what you think, like I'm going to do mm-hmm. what I feel yeah. and what I want yeah. is, you know, people are becoming, are, are they're so far because everyone's journey is still going, but yeah. in that journey, you know, they're finding, you know, like their happiness and where their place in life. And so like, that's, yeah. that's a good feeling. Gosh. Yeah. And it's another thing that like, it doesn't come up in my content maybe as often as some other like concepts, but it is something that is, I think is important for people to know. Cause I think sometimes when you do things that aren't like the traditional way or, you know, or like the traditional age that you're supposed to do things, there's this sense that like, you need to hide that from people because it's embarrassing or whatever, but I don't feel that way. I've, I've been told by people that I've worked for that they think one of the reasons I'm such a hard worker is because I had such an appreciation from spending so long doing something I hated for now having this opportunity to do all these things that I love. So I put my whole self into it. So some, in some ways it's been a big positive, but like, that's another, that's an, another kind of person I like to cater content to is I get a lot of people in my comments being like, uh, you know, watching your videos gave me, you know, the strength to, you know, go, get, change my careers at 35 yeah. and like things like that. And it's just, it's so scary that I think those those kind of things, especially that you never hear about people doing, at least not successfully, and that takes so much, you're risking so much. It's yeah. not like you're starting off and like there's this like sensical path. You're you're literally destroying everything you've done so far in the hopes of something, and it's a complete unknown. And yeah. so I just, I think it's really important for people to know that you I hate the phrase like it's never too late because I feel like it's it's cheesy, but like it's never really too late. It might not be. I, I also try and be mindful of like 
I not being like time poor is also a thing. If you are raising three kids or if, you know, you're a single parent or something like that, you have all these, it's not as easy uh, that it was easy for me, but it's not as easy as it was for me to just like pick up and do something else. But I also have met a lot of people where it is possible for them and it is in the cards for them and they do have the resources, but they won't do it solely because they're afraid. And if that's the case, you need to just go for it because not everyone can do it. Not everyone has the means, but if you have the means, you should do it, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, that's beautiful. Yeah. Should do it. Just do it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Do it afraid. Um, we did get one, one question. Ernest has been commenting a lot. I see you, Ernest. Hi, Ernest. (laughs) Yes. Shout out to Ernest. Thank you for all your comments. He was curious. Have you ever found a diamond or I guess on on that note, have you ever found like, I guess your most prized crystal, if you haven't found a diamond. I haven't found a diamond. I went to like one of the only accessible like diamond mines. I can't remember if it was in Alabama or Arkansas. 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 Arkansas, Crater of diamonds. Yes. Yes, that's where I went. And I, I wanted to find one, but I didn't find one. It's so um, hard. Yeah, it's it was a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so hopefully one day I would like to find some uh, Herkimer diamonds. Okay, let me think Ooh. about my... Ding, 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 ding. Amber's going to take you. you you're yeah, you like, Okay, it. after the show, we're definitely going to yeah, talk about this. Meet up. Okay, cool. Um, I'm trying to think what my most valuable rock was. I can tell you the rock that costs the most, which is the, the mid-ocean ridge basalt, because those machinery cost a lot of money to go get them. I don't actually think I, uh, I don't, I don't have a whole lot of monetarily like valuable rocks because they're just things I picked up random places. Uh, I feel like that's mm-hmm. kind of like a, a geologist thing, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah the the geologist. Yeah. If you walk, if a if a general public person walked into a geologist's office, yeah. they would see nothing of value and yeah. would right. guess that they picked it up out of the sidewalk gravel because it's <laughs> yeah. that indescript cool. to them. Yeah, it's, and I mean, I do yeah. have some like I um my favorite rock shop is in Fort Bragg, California, and my girlfriend lives in California, and so she that's every holiday I get a rock from that rock shop. Right. And so I do have some like nice ones that aren't like igneous rocks. Most of what I work with is igneous or I'll get metamorphic stuff from like random places. Um, and it's, they're, they're really nice, but it, they're not like a, you know, gemstone like cost. It's like, you know, right. maybe they, if it's a really nice one, it might be like, you know, 40, $50 or something. I don't think I have any gemstone quality, anything. Um, but I like the ones I have better than gemstone quality rocks. <laughs> <laughs> all right um sorry i am like completely i had i had notes of things to ask you and then all of a sudden we get on like, all I these tangents we, yeah but we did really well i mean oh um... i i did want to ask so you were mm-hmm. t- i i saw um you were talking about field camp and yeah. you, you you mentioned michigan and i think because I, I saw something you said that you had a rock that you were showing that you got it from field camp and you said there was datalite in it where, yeah. as a geologist, I have to ask, where did you do your field camp? So my field camp, we drove from Florida up to Michigan and back and stopped a bunch of places along the way. I'm pretty okay. sure that the Datalite was at um, some, like, old mine in Michigan. Or maybe, I think it was Wisconsin, actually. 
Okay. I, think so. I can look in my field book if you're like super, super motivated, but, uh, or I can ask, I can ask my professor where we went because he has the GPS coordinates. Yeah. Um, I was going to say. It was say, probably up in the UP. It, yeah. It pro probably. Yeah. I know we do have it in Minnesota. I've, I've found some pieces of data. Like I was going to say, I don't, ex I can't exactly see it, but I still have the binder from my field camp that has every stop and everything um, on it, which, yeah. I mean, I found, uh, I think it was from the Green River. I actually found a really cool leaf. And I found a, yeah. um, uh, I wish I could find it. It's a, I don't know if it's a cricket or a grasshopper fossil. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, cool. it was, and, I, and it was one of those, yeah. like, really great. Because then all of a sudden it's like, I have this field guide that says what formation we were in. And the ages and, like, everything. It's all, like, laid out. It's not, right. like, some random yeah. road cut that you just, like, find it. But I was yeah. just really curious because, um, I guess you know, I saw that it was, you know, Florida. And then you're talking about like Michigan. I know a lot of people go West for their field camp. So you're, you're like one of the few people I've heard of that have gone to, to Michigan for their field camp, which is cool. Yeah. Well, and truthfully, UF normally does go out West for it, but this was the first field camp they did in person after COVID. And they oh, didn't know okay. if they, they didn't know if they were going to be doing it in person. And they waited so long to make a decision that all the places they normally went out West were just like booked. And so they were like, we're not going to do that. And my, the professor who ran field camp grew up in Michigan. And so he was okay. like, I know all the good rock places. And so that's where, what we did. That's where we went. So, so were, were you then, so you were in college studying mm -hmm. geology when COVID happened? Uh, so when, during like the real depths of, you know, of quarantine, I was doing online classes. I did my first, I did one semester of community college, and then I did two semesters online because I was living out of state and I wasn't in a position where I could move back to Florida for in-person classes. Okay. But once you get to lab work classes, you have to be in person. So at that point I moved. But during, um, dur like, literally during like quarantine, I was living in uh, Texas and doing classes online. And then right when quarantine kind of ended was when I moved to Florida in person to do all of my, like in the rest of my degree in person, essentially. So is that, so, okay. So I'm really curious about this because mm -hmm. I was, I was thinking about this while COVID mm -hmm. was going on about, you know, universities canceling classes and whatever. And, mm -hmm. you know, I've heard this from before COVID of people saying, you know, mm -hmm. geology classes shouldn't be taught online and yeah you know, they, you, you know, these, these hard nosed, you know, old school geologists that are like, everyone needs to do a field camp. Mm -hmm. It's gotta be six weeks long. You can't do yeah. anything inside. It's gotta be, you know, this, that, whatever. And I was thinking yeah. about this during COVID. It's like, there's so much of geology that is, yeah. you know, hand specimens, but on the other hand too, there's so much new technology. Yeah. So I guess like, could you maybe talk about like some of that? Like, I know obviously yeah. like TikTok is its own thing, but like, yeah. what what is there now like with i guess accessibility of being able to do geology yeah so um it's a very hot topic of conversation in geology because even more so than other sciences i feel like uh geology is uh, particularly excludes you know people with disabilities because it's such a physical job historically However, I know many people who had to do a field camp who never intend to do any field work. So much can be done with computers and coding and things like that. And like, yes, even with thing, even with jobs like that, you do generally have to do some kind of field something so that it's, there's just that some things you can only tell in the field. However, 
somebody else can go do the one week of field work that's required for the five year long coding project or whatever, you know? Um, and so right. there is like a general move more towards that. And I think that it's really good for the career as a whole, because something I was told when I started at uh, USGS was like, you know, there's all this like field work data that no projects have ever been done for because, you know, you know, back in the fifties or whatever, people would go and they'd do a field season and then they wouldn't finish the project. But then the next summer they still want to do field work. So they do another field season. This is like endless field work data and not nearly as many, you know, supposed like projects that were getting done because they only wanted to do field work, which I understand. I love field work, but if you're, you're always going to have these personalities in geology that are only interested in the field work, but then to complement that, you need to have some people who are like fine with doing all lab work and not doing like the physical aspect of it. And in order to do that, you need to make programs accessible to the kind of people who might not want to do that. And um, like, I think field camp is really important, but I do think that geology programs should offer like different tracks and have one that maybe doesn't include field camp because while jobs in both sectors are still technically geology, um they don't do the same thing and you don't need the exact same like courses necessarily especially one that is that limits who can do it um successfully like so strictly and like i also think that there should be options for like more accessible field camps some field camps you do need to do like more intense stuff but there are you know there's virtual field camps and things like that and like if you do a virtual field camp, no, you're probably not going to be as prepared to go, you know, you can't go, you know, hike in the illusions <laughs> by yourself, but you don't necessarily need to know that. Sometimes you just need to understand the process that happens during field work so that you can incorporate it to whatever else you're doing. You don't necessarily need to be the person in the woods for four weeks without a shower. Like that, right. <laughs> uh, you know, I love doing that, but not everybody wants to do that. And I think that should be okay. And I think that, um, even now they're like, it's leaning towards that way, but there is still a lot of resistance. There's a lot of people who are more aligned with the old school way and feel like it's like ruining the essence, you know, of geology. I'm like, I understand that they like have a soft spot for like the culture of geology they grew up in, but it's right. the culture of geology is it's changing. Yeah. yeah. And if it's like, you know, harming people and excluding people from the field and the culture needs to change. Yeah, so. completely. Um, yeah. So um, I know we I can't wait, by the way. Of... I can't wait till you get older so that you can like be ahead of like these things and like make these decisions because you are just I love the way you think, you. the way you want to put things together and the change and the progressive. It's like, yes, we need that. Um, so we I do have some other videos I didn't get to. I was just curious, okay. were there any videos you sent that you want to have shown? Or um, um I, I, I do have your favorite video if you want me to show that. I don't even remember. Is that the one I that she went? Can we, wait, wait, wait. Can we see the one where she went viral? Like her very first TikTok viral one? Um, oh. I have a couple here. Let me show. I'll show this one. I also have listed as viral. Okay. So let me show this one. Okay. Yeah. So that that one video got me 70,000 followers. That's crazy. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it was, it was. And I, it was insane. That's like that's, yeah, third of that's my like following now. The yeah. most exciting moment where you go from like this yeah. many followers to like this many. Yeah, it was nuts. And it also like, I mean, I already kind of knew this, I was already making gay geology content. But it was also very much like, you know, <laughs> it really solidified like, okay, this is, 
this is my main audience is like gay people want to learn about rocks and they want to learn about rocks from someone who's gay and makes puns about it. Um, and now if I have a much more, my, my audience used to be pretty much like exclusively like, you know, queer people. And now it's much more diverse and I, and I love that, but I've maintained like, you know, the idea of it is like, you don't have to be gay to follow me, but you do have to support the LGBTQ community. Otherwise yeah. I don't want your support. Um, but that video drew a lot of people in for sure. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, like, it, I think like speaking for like me and Ben, like both of us are, you know, heterosexual and we love your content. Like, <laughs> like, I mean, you don't have to be gay yeah, to yeah. enjoy. It's funny, no like, what. It's funny and yeah. it's just like, it's good. It's refreshing to yeah. see. And I, I appreciate just seeing a different perspective on things yeah so well and it, it, i think it all comes down to regardless of anyone's sexuality or race or anything yeah. um just be yourself yeah and it's yeah. one of those don't change you know yeah. I, it's i i listen to a lot of comedians and they kind of you know they say that there's this this thing with comedians which applies to a lot of content creators and people where it's like mm -hmm. they try to make themselves into either someone they've seen or mm -hmm. jokes that they think will work and it's like, mm -hmm. if you just be yourself, people will like that for that. Yeah. Um, the same thing with, you know, musicians, you know, you hear about like mm -hmm. these huge bands like Queen that went to try to do these records and the record labels mm -hmm. like this won't work. And then they just stuck to who they are. And then it ends up being this amazing thing. Yeah. And it's like, if you, it doesn't, you know, don't make content for other people necessarily yeah. to make it to fit to what they want. Mm -hmm. You make yeah. it so that you're expressing yourself in the way that you want to do. And you hope that people will support you yeah. and, you know, lift you up. And that's how I think everyone should be, you know, as a yeah. white man, I shouldn't be out there <laughs> yeah. saying I'm better yeah. than someone, but I also yeah. just shouldn't be, you know, hiding anything from it. Yeah. I'm who I am and you're yeah. who that, and like everyone and, yeah. and just make your content and try to make people laugh and yeah, because you'll geology. find your people will find you. You know, yeah. like people, people are looking for you, you know, and yeah. they want to connect with people like you. And so yeah. like just being yourself allows those, your people to find you. So, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Except, and, except and for that one, that one person that just dropped off. I saw our viewers go down by one. <laughs> well, that's okay. <laughs> talking a little bit. Yeah. But uh, it's also like, that's a lesson that I kind of try to, anyone who asks me advice about doing like psychom on social media, that's usually the first advice I give is like, don't try and be this like super smart boy science person. People don't want to, they, people want to be able to trust you and they can't trust you if they don't know who you are. There's a reason why like Hank Green, for example, has so many followers, even though a lot of the things he talks about, he doesn't have like an advanced degree in, but he's built a rapport and a trust with the people who follow him by being like authentic and honest about what he does and doesn't know. And so if you wanna be a content creator and you wanna be a science communicator on something like social media, you can't do SciComm the way you do at a conference or in an article. You have to show them who you are or they're not gonna buy into whatever you're talking about. Right, right. Okay, so going back then to the videos, here is, yes. um, you said this, you said this was your favorite video. Yes, I remember now. Yeah, that is my favorite. That is my favorite video. So um, one of the people I went to the field with uh, in Iceland was uh, my best friend from undergrad, Laura, came with me. Um, and that was our last day, like doing any field work. 
And I was like, Laura, you're not allowed to make fun of me, but I'm going to go hug the lava wall. <laughs> um, and so that, you know, she recorded and took a photo of me doing that. Now, I want to point out that that was a cool lava wall. That was not one of the hot ones. <laughs> Don't hug hot lava walls. But I went up and hugged one of the cooled ones because um, that particular eruption is very accessible. It's right near the Capitol. A lot of people could go see it. And that's wonderful because it's this amazing thing. But it also was a little bit bittersweet. I, 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 I went to the eruption before, you know, like the main tourist season, like right after it erupted. And so when I first got there, almost no one else was there except for me and maybe a couple of people who were like photographing it. And by the time I left, there was like a hot dog stand and a parking lot like within a mile of the eruption. And so I, I am very grateful that it's accessible and that people can see it. But I also knew that I would never be able to go back to this volcano and see it the way that it was then. And so there was also a lot of like, like, I guess, mourning that because it, it obviously, I got it tattooed on me, you know, it, it had a lot of meaning to me so I walked up and hugged it and I really love that one because it also like um, I did a whole series of videos responding to comments on that video because the comments on that video was a bunch of other scientists saying all the different ways they like hugged whatever they studied <laughs> or people being like I can't hug what I study because I study really tiny bats and it would crush them and or as I study you know he was one person was like you know I study like mortuary science I'm really not supposed to hug things and it was just just the funniest responses um and it's like I thought, I thought it was a nice reminder that some people think of, you know, scientists as these like, you know, like poised, serious, like smart people. And it's like, no, we're all just like a bunch, especially geologists. We're all just like a bunch of kids playing in the dirt, like <laughs> hugging lava. Like it's not, you yeah. know. Yeah I, yeah. I wish I had it handy, but yeah, I've got a picture of me in college hugging a basalt flow in, yes. I think it was Idaho. Yes. Yeah. See? Yes. Yeah. Perfect. You're not alone in, in that respect. Yeah. Um, all right, so we are kind of um, yeah a, a little bit over. Um, I did yeah. want to bring up, so you are Dykenite on TikTok, and I believe you started a YouTube as well, or we're starting one? So I made the account, and I think I have a single video posted on it. I am not optimistic about my ability to post on a third platform during a PhD, but the account does exist if people would like to follow it. <laughs> so, so what is your third platform? You've got TikTok, YouTube... And Instagram. Instagram. And Instagram. Yes. Instagram okay. reached 100K followers. Yes. Today. Congrats. Woo. Yeah. That's great. Um, and then um, we've mentioned this throughout the podcast. So if there's anything else you want to mention, please let me know. But you did talk about OSTEM. Um, yes. So where can people get more information about OSTEM? Yeah. So OSTEM, um, I run the OSTEM TikTok account, which is right now pretty small, but I post the uh, LGBTQ and in sci scientist series on there. And I also post about other events that OSTEM does. It's essentially like a professional and student organization meant to support LGBTQ people in, in STEM and they do scholarships and they do their own conferences um, and all kinds of cool stuff. And so they have their own um, Instagram pages. They also have chapters at a lot of different universities. So if you want to join a chapter at your university, you can. And then they have like a website. They, I think it's just ostem.com or something like that. Uh, but just Google ostem and their their website will come up. And they do a lot of really really good work. Um, so even if you uh, you don't necessarily want to like directly volunteer or get involved with the organization, even just like following them on social media helps. So. Okay, yes. great. Is, and then is yeah. there anything that we forgot or any questions you have? Um, no, I don't, I don't think so. I don't have any, 
I don't have any other questions, I don't think. I guess one thing I do want to say is um, I have I have this, all the comments that I get like on my videos, I have a uh, scrapbook where I keep them. And so Aww. that's something I like to mention because I think it, I think it's easy for people to have the attitude that it's like just social media. I kind of had that attitude when I started, especially like, I don't know, I'm a little bit, I'm considered a little bit old for people who are on TikTok or whatever. But so I think people sometimes think that it's cringy and it's like social media and it can't possibly matter. But like I have an entire book filled of like just the most like amazing, like heartfelt messages. And so the whole Aww. experience has like meant a lot to me. That's, That's wonderful. Yes, it is. That's beautiful. And and it really just shows like just how committed you are to, <laughs> you know, your passion and teaching and advocating. Like that's I mean, you you couldn't ask for anything more heartfelt than that. That's that's great. That <laughs> that makes, you know, people who who watch content and are, you yeah. know, like we, you know, and you want when you're a content watcher, you know, we get really yeah. invested invested in, yeah. in certain creators and to yeah. know that like there's a creator out there that really appreciates you know the comments that you know we're putting yeah. out there like that just that kind of connection yeah. like that's that's good yeah yeah like, that and makes, that's, that's yeah that's kind of the point in in saying it because it's so easy when the account is small to interact with every person individually I can't do that with 350,000 people between all the you know platforms together I can't respond to every you know DM, but the ones that I'm able to see and the ones that I'm able to get like really genuinely mean so much that people interact that way. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you again yeah. for yes. for being our season finale guest. Yes. Thank you so thank much. You for having me. Yeah. 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 Ben, Ben actually is the one who, you know, we, we sit and we talk about yeah. our guests, like who to have on. And he's like, Dyke and I, and he was telling me, I was like, oh, yes, let's have her. So, yes, thank you, Ben, awesome. for for yeah, bringing ben. her up because what a great guest. Yes. Yeah, yeah, this was a lot of fun. I'm glad to have another geologist on that we can kind of geek out yeah. a little bit, too. Yeah. So for sure. Yeah. I don't always get that opportunity. Um, and, yeah, and so um, thank you to everyone for listening to Season 2. We yes. are wrapping up, and we will be back. Uh, season 3 is going to be January 10th. Yeah. 2024. Yes. Season three, we're going to have more incredible, uh, passionate people in, in rocks, minerals, fossil world. And um, we'll, we're going to get create more creative, different angles and perspectives. Just like I, I'm really excited for season three. I'm excited actually just to move this podcast because I think that like, just like hearing people's stories and connecting to the people who are passionate in this hobby is what makes and builds like a great community within the hobby. So I'm really excited for season three. So look out for us on January 10th at 8.45 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. <laughs> yes. And make sure to keep following us on TikTok, YouTube, yes. Facebook, Rockhound Talk Live. We'll be posting updates, highlights, everything like that. You'll be able to find us on there. Um, and then also, I know I've been behind on a few episodes, so if you're listening to this on Spotify, I'm sorry that it's taken me a long time to get there, but um, also make sure to follow us for the audio on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else that you can get your podcasts. Yes, and thank you, and we were signing out, and we'll see you in 2024. Peace out, mm -hmm. everyone. Bye, everyone. <laughs>